I'm Amber Tresca, and this is About IBD. It's my mission to educate people living with Crohn's disease or ulcerative colitis about their disease and to bring awareness to the patient journey. Welcome to episode 102. People with IBD are looking for guidance on diet, but so far, there hasn't been much research that can offer any answers. One recent study, however, compared two popular diet plans for IBD, the specific carbohydrate diet and the Mediterranean diet. Patients have tried both of these diets for years, but they've never been compared in a research study before. My guest is Janielle Jaskot, certified nutritionist and IBD patient. She goes over some of the results from this research, which is titled Trial of Specific Carbohydrate and Mediterranean Diets to Induce Remission of Crohn's Disease. It's also known as the DYNE-CD. Danielle is also a volunteer with the Connecticut Westchester chapter of the Crohn's and Colitis Foundation. She tells us why volunteering in the IBD community can be helpful for patients and for professionals and gives an overview on some upcoming events. From her office in Connecticut, let's welcome Danielle Jaska. Danielle, thank you so much for coming on about IBD. Thank you so much for having me. So you live with Crohn's disease. I wonder if you would take a couple of minutes and tell me about when you were diagnosed and what that process was like for you. Sure. So I was diagnosed with Crohn's in 2011. And I think that while the process for me was, of course, different from others, as we all have our own story, it was similar in many respects, as it was not a quick and easy diagnosis. I had started having symptoms in early 2010, uh, GI symptoms, but also a lot of extra intestinal symptoms. So I was sent to specialist after specialist and had what I felt was every test under the sun done in a span of about nine months. I was diagnosed with uveitis and scleritis, which are inflammations of the eye, um, arthritis, eczema, gastritis, anemia. Um, so even though these things were being treated, I kept getting sicker, losing more weight. I was exhausted trying to run a business and chase around a five-year-old. Uh, I knew these were all symptoms of something deeper and more systemic. And so ultimately I did, I did look into things a little more on my own and actually came up with the possibility of IBD. So I went back to my GI and I said, Hey, you know, we did an endoscopy. What about doing a colonoscopy? And of course he was like, well, no one's ever asked me to do a colonoscopy, but sure. And that was how I was um, initially diagnosed with indeterminate colitis and so at that time, you know, for several reasons, I, I just didn't have a lot of faith in, in that particular doctor. So I, I ended up going to a different practice to get a second opinion. And I was very quickly diagnosed with Crohn's. So it was a bittersweet diagnosis because on the one hand, I had the name and now the knowledge of what was going on. But then there was the reality of, you know, now I'm going to be, you know, living the rest of my life with this fun disease. So, so that was my process, which, mm. like I said, I think a lot of people, unfortunately, have a similar experience with diagnosis. It's not always a quick process and it can certainly be, you know, physically and emotionally exhausting. Yeah, totally. I'm always surprised when people go through, for instance, like you did, like the, the endoscopy, but then they don't have mm -hmm. a colonoscopy. It just seems like, you know, why aren't you looking in both places? Like, I don't understand. Especially if, did your, did your endoscopy show anything? So it was, it was kind of, 
I, I always want to say funny, but there, I guess there's really nothing funny about it. Um, <laughs> it was kind of odd because I had been having lower GI symptoms and they really kind of didn't do much. And then I had, I actually had an episode of like epigastric pains. So then they were like, oh, we have to go in and look and do the endoscopy. And so they did find some gastritis and they actually did diagnose me with GERD at that point. Um, And they gave me medication for it and I took it and I actually kind of, it didn't really help much. And obviously the lower GI pain was getting worse. So yeah, I found it odd too, which was one of the big reasons that I did go and get a second opinion because I kind of thought, hey, shouldn't we have done that? first or at least sooner. So, so yeah, it was a little strange, the timing of all that. Yeah. It always surprises me. And I do wonder if it has something to do with being a young woman or, you know, what the thought process is there, but also too, you had uveitis and that's something that as a patient, you're not going to connect the dots on that, Mm -hmm. but you would hope that a GI or other healthcare professionals would connect those dots because that's not a common thing. Like, so you were under the care of an ophthalmologist, I'm assuming, and they didn't come up with any reason why you would be having this. Not for, no, actually they didn't. And, and that was one of the first, so I, I, you know, I I started with funny that you had said, you know, because you're a young woman. So interestingly, they thought maybe it was, um, you know, like a reproductive system issue. So I had (laughs) tests to, I had tests to look at. Of course you know, they did. Yes. Have to blame it on that. You're a woman. That's the problem. So <sighs> I had to, like an ultrasound done. I had, you know, they yeah. checked because I actually did have a history of having um, a cyst, an ovarian cyst. So I think they went to that first. And um, yeah, but one of the first symptoms that I had was my vision started getting very blurry and almost hazy. And I went to a couple eye doctors before I ended up at a retina specialist who ended up looking very deep back into the uvia, I suppose it is to really, and, and said, you know, this is uveitis sent me to another. And that was sort of the course of it. It was like, this happened, go to that specialist, this happened. go And so finally, like I said, I hate, I always tell people, please don't go to Dr. Google and try to figure out what's wrong with you. But at the same time, we do have to educate ourselves to the best that we can on certain things. And so I just kind of started putting all the pieces together. And I don't want to say I diagnosed myself because we don't do that. But I took that information to a new doctor and I was like, hey, listen, I have all this stuff going on. And my now colonoscopy says I have, you know, possibility of Crohn's. Like, can we just give this a name, please? So I can treat it as such. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So that was, uh, that was the, but yeah, uh, uveitis, dermatitis, and arthritis. Those are the three big things with IBD. And it was not, that connection wasn't made right away. So, but eventually it was. You were being an empowered patient and you sort of learned that really quickly, even before you were formally diagnosed. And I'm sure that's helped you so much in your journey. Today, you're a certified nutrition specialist and a certified nutritionist. So how did that all work out for you after your Crohn's diagnosis and then decided to go and be a nutrition professional? So I had a background in science and nutrition. So that, of course, was the first area that I began to research once I was diagnosed so that I could understand how nutrition impacted my disease and vice versa. And I was just so intrigued by the connection between diet and stress and the immune system, as well as the biochemistry of autoimmunity and the microbiome and epigenetics. And so I ended up enrolling in graduate school at the University of Bridgeport 
and earned my master's in human nutrition. And then I knew that I wanted to go into the field of nutrition therapy. So I decided to obtain my CNS credential, a certified nutrition specialist. And that credential does require a master's level degree or higher, as well as a thousand clinical supervised hours and the passing of a very fun hours long exam. So once I earned that credential, then I became state certified. And honestly, when I opened my private practice, I was really looking, um, I was working in general nutrition therapy. And it wasn't until sometime after that, that I decided focusing on those with IBD was really what I was most passionate about. And so, yeah, absolutely. Having Crohn's inspired me to make very big changes in my career. And, you know, I always tell people that we don't always have a choice when it comes to certain burdens that we're given to carry, but we can choose what we decide to do with them and we can use them to help ourselves and others and to make a difference to a lot of people. So that's what I, I feel that I'm doing at this point. And, uh, I'm, I'm actually, I do feel a bit blessed. I mean, it sounds kind of crazy to say like, oh, I'm so glad I have this because now I'm doing this. But I mean, I, I certainly have, it certainly has been life-changing in many ways. Danielle, how do you work with IBD patients when they come to you and they are looking for some support in understanding how diet may impact their symptoms? So I always start with a basic in-depth assessment. So of course, I'm always looking at medical history and current symptoms, um, signs or symptoms of any nutrient deficiencies. We always look at lab work together. We look at stress and sleep because um, we know that those things have a big impact on IBD and our health in general. Uh, and I also have my clients provide me with a three-day food log so that I can get a better idea of what their average daily diet looks like. Uh, but the one thing that I'm really assessing, which is so important to my clients being able to have success with nutrition therapy, is really where they're at, um, I guess, emotionally and, and mentally with their disease. So how ready they are to make lifestyle changes and diet changes. How much do they understand about how nutrition impacts their disease and then how their disease impacts their, their nutrient status. And so my goal is always to meet them where they are in the process and to work forward at whatever pace is comfortable to them so that you know, ultimately we can achieve the goals of nutrition therapy. So we want to be eating in a way to minimize stress on the GI system. We want to be preventing or repleting any nutrient deficiencies caused by poor absorption or intake of food. And we want to be providing fuel for the good bacteria in the gut, also known as the microbiome, which we are now learning plays a very important role in our overall health, but especially in IBD. So for many people, this is about taking very small steps and making small changes. So I tend to work with most of my clients for a minimum of six sessions. I see that that's where people get the most benefit from to help them achieve the goals that we set together. Do people come back sometimes for maybe a touch point, a couple of sessions to get them back on track? Yeah, definitely. I mean, there are people that come and kind of just, we do like an intake session and one follow-up. And I always provide my clients with 
their own personalized sort of recommendations uh, pamphlet. So, I mean, I used to do that more of a here, hand it to you. It's a printed version, which I really loved. But now with doing mostly telehealth, it's usually a PDF that I email. And, you know, it can be somewhat lengthy. So usually it's about kind of looking through it together and being like, okay, these are our goals. We're working through this and this is, you know, our next step. But sometimes people kind of just want that information and then kind Mm -hmm. of want to do things on their own. But I do have a lot of people that will then come back or even just say, Hey, can we touch base once a month? And, uh, and, and yeah, and that seems to be for some people that that works well to just have someone to, to check in with and to kind of be accountable to. And even sometimes just to have someone to talk to and just be like, Hey, this is what's going on. And because I have Crohn's, I kind of have that much more of an understanding of like, yeah, I know what it's like, what you're going through. And, you know, so, so that's, that's one, one thing as well. And I have clients that it's kind of funny because sometimes I feel like it's, it is nutrition therapy, but there's also so much that we talk about too. I mean, I have clients that I'll work with for an extended period of time and you almost get to the point where you're like, you know, you're doing pretty good in terms of all of this nutrition, you've got this down, but they just kind of want to, you know, touch base every even two weeks or so just just to kind of have someone like I said, to, to check in with. That makes a lot of sense, especially considering the emotional component and mm-hmm. how food has an impact in so many parts of our life, not only just on symptoms, but culturally and socially and even professionally. I've been out to professional yeah. dinners and had people question what I was eating or not eating. <laughs> so getting through these things, it's nice to have someone to work work through them with you. And also, I expect that people might come back to you when there's new research or new findings or something else happening because it's become a really hot topic. Years ago, I was diagnosed, I'll just tell you, dating myself here terribly, but (laughs) I was diagnosed in 1989. I was 16. And they told you soft, low residue diet. So basically you were eating a bunch of like rice and white bread and stuff like that. Mm. Today, we're understanding a lot more about how the diet impacts these diseases. And I want to ask you about this recent study that came out that's called DYNE-CD. It's getting a lot of attention. It was funded by the Crohn's and Colitis Foundation and the Patient-Centered Outcomes Research Institute. And what this study did was it compared the Mediterranean-style diet and the specific carbohydrate diet. So what can you tell me about this study set up and what do you think that they were hoping to learn by sort of doing a head-to-head study on these two diets? Yes. So this is a very exciting study that was really the first larger scale national randomized trial to look at the impact of specific diets on IBD and to show that diet can benefit adult patients with IBD. So it was a randomized clinical trial, which is really the gold standard for research and looked at 194 patients who had mild to moderate Crohn's disease. So this was uh, more specific to Crohn's in this study than IBD in general, um, with the goal of understanding if the specific carbohydrate diet would be superior to the Mediterranean diet in terms of a reduction of symptoms, as well as improvement in certain inflammatory markers. So both diets do have some similarities, most importantly, avoiding processed foods, And the Mediterranean diet really consists of higher intakes of fruits and vegetables, as well as nuts and whole grains, and a moderate intake of poultry and seafood with olive oil being the preferred fat source. 
And the specific carbohydrate diet mainly consists of a high intake of most but not all fruits, vegetables, nuts, and legumes, as well as unprocessed meats, poultry, and fish, uh, with the avoidance of grains, most dairy, and all sweeteners aside from honey. So the study duration was 12 weeks, and subjects were randomly assigned to one of the two diets. They were provided all of their meals for the first six weeks, and then provided instructions on preparing meals, as well as the option to purchase meals for week six through 12. And assessments were done at both six and 12 weeks, and it was found that there was no statistically significant difference between the effects of the two diets. But what was very exciting was that nearly half of patients in both diet groups achieved symptomatic remission by week six. So that was 46.5% on the specific carbohydrate diet and 43.5% on the Mediterranean diet. And the symptoms that were shown to improve included fatigue, pain, sleep disturbance, and social isolation. Uh, fecal calprotectin, which is a gut-specific inflammatory marker that we can obtain through stool testing, that was also assessed and levels were reduced, some in both groups. They also tested uh, CRP prior to the study and at 6 and 12 weeks. And CRP is a systemic inflammation marker that is obtained through a blood test. They did not find any significant effect on CRP levels in subjects. So what does this mean? Um, one of the first and most common questions that IBD patients have you and I both had this, I'm, I'm sure, um, after being diagnosed, especially is what should I eat? What is the best diet for my disease? And so this study really gives validity to the recommendations that a Mediterranean diet or a specific carbohydrate diet can be beneficial for symptom reduction. So, you know, we know we've done a lot of research on the Mediterranean diet itself for other health conditions, and we know it helps reduce the risk of heart disease and stroke and high cholesterol and type 2 diabetes. So, it continues to fall in line with the recommendations of that Mediterranean diet being healthful, healthful overall. So, and many Crohn's patients have other health conditions as well. So that's important. So, and the specific carbohydrate diet has not been studied for those other health benefits. So it's not really known if it would be helpful as well. So, um, you know, both, both diets seem to be beneficial to IBD patients in terms of symptoms. I think one thing that's important to note is that overall inflammation did not appear to be significantly reduced in this 12-week period. So this means that patients do need to understand that even if they are feeling better and their symptoms have decreased, that they still need to be monitored through labs and or imaging studies to ensure that inflammation is also under control. Yeah, I think that's a big thing that's maybe not always understood is that it's really important to feel better. And everyone mm -hmm. wants to feel better and our physicians want us to feel better. But that doesn't always mean that we are having control over that inflammation, which can lead to the extra intestinal uh, manifestations and then also ongoing inflammation. It's just bad. It's just bad. We don't want that. No. <laughs> so we have some rigor now around these diets and how they affected the people in this study. But does this give you any assistance in how you're working with patients as far as guiding them on their diet? And I ask this because when I attend talks by nutritionists or dietitians that are working in the field, working in, in GI, they usually do say the Mediterranean diet is what they tell their patients to do. Does this sort of give you a, a way to work with your clients in a, in a different way or help them in a different way? 
Yeah. I mean, this, you know, this is a huge finding. Like I said, it, it really gives validity to certain recommendations. So I have also recommended, especially for patients that are really starting at the beginning of everything when it comes to diet and then, you know, to transition them to a very restrictive diet, such as the SCD, which is a really good diet. I will say that. Um, and there are several other diets that tend to be, you know, very helpful for, for patients, but, you know, transitioning someone to such a restrictive diet can be very challenging and oftentimes just doesn't work. So having the research behind this study to support that a Mediterranean diet is actually beneficial, it really gives validity to then recommending it to patients. So the Mediterranean diet is it's very balanced. Um, so we really can kind of hit all of those goals that I mentioned earlier um, of nutrition therapy for IBD. So minimizing symptoms, which we saw in this study, and therefore possibly reducing nutrient deficiencies. So if, if like we did see that uh, the fecal calprotectin levels did improve in some. So that is promising too, that, you know, we may have a little more ability to absorb nutrients that we're consuming. So that is something that is obviously going to be helpful if we're eating in a way that can help to, you know, heal up our intestines to a certain degree. Um, also, the one thing that I really like about this study is that, like you said earlier, you know, low fiber, low residue has been the recommendation in the past. And, and to be honest, it's still the recommendation for a lot of patients. Um, low residue and low fiber, we're realizing, especially with this study, that it's, it's great temporarily, very temporarily. But in terms of long term, it's not something that we're really going to be benefiting from. So, you know, the other side of that too is that with more plant fiber in the diet, which we're seeing in these, both of these diets actually, we're more likely to see an increase in gut microbial diversity. So that's another great thing too. Mediterranean diet is less restrictive, easier to follow. You'll have better adherence. You know, patients will adhere to it better than they would to a very restrictive diet. So I will say that um, from my perspective as a practitioner, I, I often recommend the Mediterranean diet and I often recommend a modified Mediterranean diet. So a lot of clients have specific food sensitivities. This study focused on a standard Mediterranean diet and a standard specific carbohydrate diet or approach. So incorporating personalization, which occurs more in that one-to-one -one therapy setting, um, I think that can help further these benefits even more because we're able to say, okay, you know, these are the foods that are typically included in a Mediterranean diet. But on top of it, we find that when you have dairy products, you know, you have a lot of issues. You're, they're very sensitive to dairy. So we're able to say, okay, we're going to modify this diet. Um, a lot of times when people are in a very bad flare, you know, I often recommend a lot of blending and making sure things are cooked. So we kind of cut back on the raw foods a little bit. That's not necessarily in a standard Mediterranean diet, but it's something that I think that's where patients really need that guidance because it's easy to just look at the study and be like, oh, okay, I can just eat you know, a salad every day for lunch. But if you're in a really bad flare, you're, that's not gonna help your symptoms. That's sandpaper on an open wound going through. So, so, um, so yeah, it, it's definitely a really big step. Um, and I think that it also opens the door for other studies going forward. This study was actually done because patients wanted it done. Patients are wanting to see, hey, we need guidance. We need help figuring out what to eat and we need some type of research to support that. And so 
going forward, there, there are other studies being done right now. So I'm very excited to see results of, of those and, um, and also to see doctors starting to recommend to their patients like, Hey, there's this study that came out and, you know, it looks like maybe having some plant fiber in your diet is a good thing after all. So I think that's going to help people in the end, uh, end up feeling better. Danielle, you're also a volunteer with the Crohn's and Colitis Foundation. You are a very busy woman. And <laughs> I think sometimes that for people who haven't done volunteer work in the past, it can seem overwhelming. But I also think that it is a wonderful way to cope with your IBD and then also to get more involved with the larger IBD community. Do you want to tell me more about your volunteering journey, how that has taken shape? And then what does your chapter have coming up for the rest of the year? Sure. So the Crohn's and Colitis Foundation, first of all, is an incredible nonprofit organization. They are dedicated to finding the cures for Crohn's and colitis, uh, as well as improving the lives of patients that are affected by these diseases. And they're able to do this through obviously monetary donations, of course, and fundraising, but also through donations of time given by volunteers. So my volunteering journey has really just started to take shape. Um, I joined the foundation actually as a professional member a little over a year ago. And honestly, when I joined then, I kind of felt that I didn't really have time to volunteer. Uh, and then maybe about five months ago, I had met with a client uh, whose son had been diagnosed with ulcerative colitis. And of course, he was devastated as a parent and, and telling me all about the ways he and his family were getting involved with the foundation. And I thought, you know, I really don't need to have a ton of extra time to be involved as a volunteer. Every little bit can help. So the first way that I became involved was to become part of a committee. And this committee is planning our annual fundraiser called Bottoms Up. And this fundraiser is held every year here in Connecticut. Um, and I'm very excited because this is going to be my first year attending the event. So it is a night of amazing food and cocktails. Uh, we're going to be having an auction and a wine poll. We're going to be recognizing several honorees that have made some great strides in advancing the mission of the foundation. So this year we will be honoring Jonathan Rowe, PhD, as well as Dr. Jeffrey Hyams, who is our humanitarian of the year. So the event is going to be held on October 22nd at the Tonks' Country Club in Farmington. All proceeds will go towards funding the foundation's mission, which is great. And, you know, I'm excited. This is a great way to meet other people that have IBD or loved ones of those with IBD. Um, and, you know, even if you can't attend the event, you can certainly reach out and donate to the cause. Or I know you have, obviously, this is in Connecticut. Not all of your listeners are in Connecticut. So, you know, reaching out to local chapters and just finding out what other events are going on um, in your area is another great idea. So, you know, here in Connecticut, we have a few other events coming up this year. Um, we, we are actually teamed up with Westchester. So it's the Connecticut Westchester chapter, because as you know, Connecticut's kind of a tiny state. So we needed to join forces. And then we also have our focus on a cure gala, which is taking place November 13th. And that is going to be in Rye, New York at the Westchester Country Club. And that's an annual gala that, you know, brings together about 250 guests from that area. And they uh, will be honoring a local family as well as a rising star, which for those that don't know, um, 
at the foundation, we have what we call rising stars, which are teen IBD patients. So we will be honoring one of them as well as a doctor of the year. This year is Marvin Shinitz. Um, and so that's what's going on in Connecticut. But overall, the foundation has so many different ways to become involved. So in addition to becoming a member, uh, which there are several levels of membership, people can also take place in different community fundraising events. So we have our Take Steps event, which is a peer-to-peer fundraising walk event. And we also have Team Challenge, which is composed of a few different athletic events, um, marathons, Ironman, not some, not something that I planned on to be doing, but for those people that are out there running marathons and, you know, that's a great event for them. It's called team challenge. And then we also have spin for Crohn's and colitis cures, which is an indoor cycling event. Uh, we also have camp oasis, which is a summer camp exclusively for children with IBD, which is very, very cool. And we're always looking for, for uh, volunteers to help in running the camp. There are advocacy opportunities, and we have some excellent resources on the website to help guide people in volunteering to be an advocate. There are leadership volunteer uh, opportunities as well as skill-based volunteer opportunities. So if you have a professional skill, such as graphic design, accounting, or marketing, those are always skills that, that the foundation can use. And I think people would actually be surprised what they have to offer that the foundation could benefit from. I think, Danielle, like I was saying, it could be overwhelming for people that are thinking about contacting their local chapter or the national chapter and starting on their volunteering journey. What would you say to them to sort of get over that little hump of maybe feeling nervous or disconcerted about starting to volunteer? Yeah, it it definitely is. Over, it, it does seem overwhelming, especially with everything that I just mentioned. It's kind of like, oh my gosh, that's so much. <laughs> I was thinking that as I was talking, I'm like, this is going to overwhelm people even more. <laughs> um, so I, I would really recommend starting by reaching out to your local chapter. So that's that's exactly what I did. Uh, if you go on to, so, so people can go on to the Crohn'sandcolitis.org. That's the website. Click on the link in the top menu that says get involved. And you will see a link for local chapters in the drop down there. If you just click on that, you can search for your local chapter by zip code, um, by city, and it will bring up a phone number and an email. What I did, I looked up my, you know, my, my local chapter. I clicked email chapter. I sent an email and just said, Hey, you know, my name is Danielle and I'm interested in volunteering. I've had Crohn's and gave them my whole little backstory. And uh, somebody reached out to me. I think the next day and they were so nice and so excited to have somebody, you know, that was, that wanted to volunteer. They listened to what I could offer, wanted to offer the time that I had available and helped me figure out some of the best ways that I could get involved. It's, it's a great way to give back to, to the IBD community and the community as a whole. And it also really does I think help people cope with many of the emotions that surround diagnosis and living with a chronic illness. It is a great way to meet other people who are living with these diseases and and, and it really does help us feel less isolated and more connected. So just reaching out to to your local chapter and and just saying, hey, just you know, kind of say hi, I'm just introducing myself and and just kind of want to ease into getting vol- you know, volunteering a little bit and getting involved. I think that's the best way to start. 
Danielle, thank you so much for all of the work that you do. I am very, very sorry that you were diagnosed with Crohn's disease, but I am also very, very happy that you are in our community and helping patients with their needs. Thank you so much, Amber, for having me. It's been great. Hey, super listener. Thanks to Danielle Jascott for going over the results of the Dine CD with me and for all her work in volunteering to help other patients who live with an IBD. You can find Danielle at her website, theibdnutritionist.com, as well as on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter as at IBD Nutritionist. She also runs a private Facebook group that's called Life with an IBD Belly. I will put links to more information as well as all of Danielle's social media in the show notes and on my episode 102 page on aboutibd.com. Don't forget, you can also follow me across all social media as About IBD. Thanks for listening. And remember, until next time, I want you to know more about IBD. About IBD is a production of Malintel Enterprises. It is written, produced, and directed by me, Amber Tresta. Mix and sound design is by Max Cooney. Theme music is from Cooney Studio.